Tracy. Good morning. Good morning. The Lord be with you. And also with you. Let us pray. Almighty and everlasting God, whose will it is to restore all things in your well-beloved Son, the King of kings and Lord of lords, mercifully grant that the peoples of the earth, divided and enslaved by sin, may be freed and brought together under his most gracious rule, who lives and reigns with you and the Holy Spirit, one God, now and forever. Amen. Amen. That is the collect for today, because today is Christ the King Sunday. Last Sunday after Pentecost, Christ the King Sunday. Next Sunday is Advent 1, the start of a church new year. Rolls over the calendar. Exciting to think about. I hope everyone had a good Thanksgiving. Yeah. It was fun yesterday or last Sunday. Uh, it was not yesterday, it was a whole week ago <laughs> that we had Rob McSwain here uh, who led the forum. And if you missed that, a reminder to you all that our forum is, is on uh, the podcast every week. Thanks to Andrew over here to my right, who is the man. Uh, Andrew gets that, uh, this forum on our podcast as well as the Sunday sermon. So um, in case you miss or you're out of town, if you don't wanna do the YouTube option, go for a walk, open up iTunes, put in your AirPods and listen to Marisa's sermon. Uh, but Rob last week talked about the saints. Remember he has a book coming out or he's done a lot of research on the lives of the saints. And one of the ways that we talked about the saint is a person who takes responsibility for God. So uh, we, he lifted up the story, powerful story of Eddie Hillisum, who realized on her way to Auschwitz that somebody has to take responsibility for God in the midst of this hellish reality. And when you say that somebody has to take responsibility for God, guess what that means? It's gonna be you. Because if you realize that somebody has to take responsibility for God, that call is on your life. Or else you wouldn't say, why is somebody not taking responsibility for God? You wouldn't care. But if you do, get ready. So for us to take responsibility for God is to be um, a friend of Jesus, is to shine with the light of Christ, is to be a saint, a holy one. Remember, that's what saint is in the Greek New Testament. It's the hagios, the holy ones. And we've been made holy because we're so perfect, right? <laughs> we've been made holy because Christ has poured his Holy Spirit into our hearts at baptism and marked us as his own forever. So that St. Paul writes to the church in Rome and in Corinth and in Ephesus, to the hagios, to the holy ones, to the saints. So that's us, friends. Today, uh, I wanna talk about discipleship, being a saint, being a friend of Jesus, and the challenges that we bump into um, as, as we're called to live out our baptism. There are no challenges, right? It's just easy. It's a cakewalk. Yeah? <laughs> no, it's hard. It's hard. And what does Jesus say in Mark 8, I think it is, you know, take up your cross and follow me. So that's a very weird thing that we're used to the overlay of religious meaning and language of take up your cross, but that is literally like take up the execution device, you know, take up the lethal injection, take up the electric chair and follow me. 
right? It's a first century Roman death penalty device. So Jesus never promises it's going to be easy. He does promise life, abundant life, joy, meaning, purpose, happiness, love, but not easy. Um, which doesn't say, which doesn't mean rather that we go around looking for everything to be really complicated in our lives and therefore we will prove to God that we're worth, worthy disciples because we went and made it so hard. And you know, because the world just presents the cross for us to bear, whatever the cross is in different seasons of our lives, we don't have to go and find it. Now, that doesn't mean that we don't look out onto the world and in our community and see where is their suffering, where is their need, and say, well, that's gonna be a cross, a self-emptying gesture of love that we're gonna step into as uh, Jesus's followers and, and bring the light of the gospel, which looks like what? Compassion and care, self-giving love, offering ourselves in humility, um, not, not just with, I have something that you need to believe, but rather based on what I believe, look at this kind of life that can be lived and offered in loving service. So don't go looking for a cross because life is hard enough and recognize where the cross of Christ is calling us in our world to reach out um, with, with arms of, of love and compassion. So let's talk about some of the, some of the challenges. The first, that it calls us to sacrifice, that it calls us to take up the cross. That's the first point, to take on a lifestyle of selflessness and service to others, which doesn't always feel good. Sometimes you're just like, don't feel like doing it. But uh, the power of God and Christ at work in our lives allows us to reach out our hands in love and recognize that it's not about how I'm feeling, it's about my obedience to Christ. And then interestingly enough, that kind of altruism and giving of self feels good. A lot of the times, not always, but a lot of the times. And when it does, nice little benefit. It feels good. So self-sacrifice, it's a calling. It's not based on a feeling, but sometimes it feels good. Jesus promises life and life abundant. Even while he says, uh, give of yourself, pour out yourself for others. So we have to live up to some moral standards as Christians, right? I mean, this is what, it's, it's easy for the world to look on and sort of say, when we have Christians acting foolishly and say, hypocrites, right? Like can't live up to, but what are we not living up to? A particular goal and standard that's set by our Lord that God has revealed to us or else we wouldn't be able to call other Christians hypocrites because <laughs> it would be like based on what? Well, based on this gospel of love, based on the life and teaching of Jesus, we have a high moral standard. So in a world where um, can seem like post-truth and what's, you know, oh, you're just a little like goody two-shoes trying to be like nice and good out in the world. Well, there's power in love, right? That's what Michael Curry told the world at the um, royal wedding that there's power in self-sacrificial love because it's God at work. So it's not just this kind of, oh, that's so sweet. 
It is you are going with the grain of the universe, the grain of God's very being of emptying out ourselves in love and compassion. So it's about truth, not just kind of rainbows and butterflies. Does that make sense? Yes. All right. So we have these, so there's self-sacrifice. We have these moral standards that we apparently have, you know, taken on. Well, that's a challenge. We have to navigate cultural differences, you know, balancing faith with cultural norms and societal expectations. And that can be, uh, that can be challenging when they, you know, they clash with Christian principles. So I don't know, what are some of those I'm asking? Like what are some of those uh, principles or powers at work in our world that clash with uh, our, our Christian calling? Christina? Forgiveness. Forgiveness? Yeah, so what about forgiveness? What do you, you're saying that our culture doesn't really call us to forgive one another? No, it does. I'm saying it does. Christian culture does. Yes, very much so. And you, do, you, uh, do you think that that's at odds with wider societal norms that can be challenging? Well, there are still people who won't forgive. Mm -hmm. But we learn, you know, in church and, and through our, our history, we learn that forgiveness is really important. Yeah, we, I, I think you're onto something there with a societal norm of when somebody does something foolish, especially public characters, uh, we really come down hard um, with a bit of self-righteousness, I would, I would think, because we don't take sin as seriously as we used to. Um, and I don't mean to just say like, let's go around and always be you know, talking about sin, left, right, and center, but sin's real, humans are broken, we make mistakes, and, uh, and we, we learn to forgive each other. But in our culture, it's kind of like cancel culture or that leader did something wrong and to hell with them, you know? That's not, that clashes. Mary? So, I, I mean, if you think about the last, the last promise of the baptismal covenant mm. of seeking justice and whatever mm -hmm. in all people. Seek and serve Christ in all persons. In all persons. I think that if you look at the world today, there are plenty, I mean, we all do it in our personal lives too. I mean, it's not, it's not, it's not, it is what we aspire to be and what we are called to do. Yeah. But um, the, the culture clash is that somebody always has to, as I see it, somebody's got to be at the top of the, of the pile as opposed to, and the putting down of others, the, the disenfranchising others. And, you know, you can look at it across the board. Yeah. Yeah. So to seek and serve Christ in all persons, um, let's keep going. Richard. Good morning. Good morning. I posted this little article yesterday about Dolly Parton's stand against cancel culture. Uh-huh. And in it, she said she's shot seeking to find the God light in everybody and everybody's shine. Mm. And it's, it's what you said, but she said here, some don't get to let it shine. And if I don't see it first out, I'd go searching. Mm. I thought that was really beautiful. That the gospel according to Dolly Parton. 
It'll preach. <laughs> she's the greatest living altruist. Yeah, absolutely. She's and, remarkable. And because of that, I hear the word searching, searching for the light in others, searching for the God love or God light yeah. in others. It's not just evident. And she's saying when people even are condemned by their own acts, let's say they end up in jail, mm -hmm. she can forgive them because God forgives them. Right. But we have to search for that light in everything because we're all interconnected through God's light. Yeah, that's wonderful uh, because it's like when we come into contact with the saint, the holy person who radiates with the light, uh, that's a fun presence to be in. Because I would say it makes us more fully alive and more fully ourselves. There's a kind of joy, not a not a, like a hard liner moral rectitude that's like a big turnoff to say, like, please leave. <laughs> You're annoying me. Although the saint can do that. Remember, Rob said that last week. The saint can be like a little bit annoying because they're so intense about doing God's will and they don't really care what you think. <laughs> there's some truth to that. But there's there's that other side where um, when we're in the presence of a, a holy one, someone whose light is very easy to see, that makes us feel more fully alive. Now, when we're in the presence of those that it is difficult to be with, and it seems like the light is extinguished, one of our questions has to be, how can we, um, how, what is going on there that has so suffocated the light? What kind of societal forces, you know, uh, family of origin, what story? connected with his life has so um, covered the light. And to Dolly's point, how do we go seeking and serving Christ in that person? To see, like, could we get a little flicker back alive? And that would be taking responsibility for God. I mean, not taking yourself too seriously, like, here I go, God to save the day, right? Because please, um, we're just servants of this of this good news of the beauty of the gospel of the generosity of the gospel but to to get the light flickering in someone else can be a real and call i would just say in there the headline that they created was her rejection of cancel culture yeah just to reinforce that yeah yeah right that it's current and that's so to, true we're not to do that we can't yet. as christians we can't reject and cancel anyone made in the image of god one of, the, one of the things that's always been helpful for me to, an image to keep in mind is that if with a pencil on a piece of paper, you draw human and we're made in the image of God, according to Genesis, and then take your pencil eraser and just smudge it, smudge the outline, but it's still there. And that's kind of our Adam and Eve existence, right? Our expulsion from the garden. The image is still there. It's just smudged. And by God's grace and mercy, the outlines are getting filled in a bit more sharply and the image is coming back to life. Now, for someone who it is hard to see the image of God in uh, because of whatever their actions are, uh, then we can kind of imagine that that eraser smudge is, is pretty thick. I mean, it's, it's like pretty fuzzy, but it's still there, right? So we can, I'm not being naive. Like there are, there's real evil in the world. There are people who have been corrupted by dark forces. Um, and the image of God is, seems like it's extinguished, but it's not. We, we believe. Um, so, you know, how, how do we go about building a culture and creating relationship that would begin to fill in, that God would begin to fill in that image? Uh, Joe. To build on something Mary said, 
I think our culture has come to, come to a zero-sum game. Yeah. If I win, someone else has to lose. Yeah. And not even, you know, 51-49, I mean, by a big spread. Yeah. And uh, I, I must have seen this on television somewhere, but it, it reminds me. Uh, just because I call somebody ugly, that doesn't make me pretty. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that's, that's a lot of what goes on in our public domain. And this is certainly at odds with, right, the, the Christian calling that God is reconciling us to himself, first and foremost. If we are at peace with God, peace with one another becomes possible. If, we don't, if we're not at peace with God and rebelling against God, we don't understand what peace is. We don't understand what the image of God is, let alone in the other person. But in you know, this message of salvation is that we have seen the image of God in the face of Jesus Christ. And therefore we have peace because he's reconciled us to God the Father through the power of the Spirit. This is, you know, theology 101. And inside of that, we are, we are at peace inside of that saving good news so that we go and, and we, seek, we seek peace. But God's plan of salvation is to reconcile the whole world to himself. And the pilot project of doing that is the church. And we screw it up all the time. But by God's grace, you know, the powers of hell will not prevail against it because God makes the church, not us, not our clever ideas or schemes. God makes the church and has reconciled us and is reconciling us to one another and to our neighbors. That is to say, no one can be cast aside. Everybody matters. And my life only, my life made in the image of God of infinite worth matters insofar as I'm building up that body, not check out this contribution I'm gonna make. Um, and, and, not, and you must make less. You must make less of a contribution because I need to make more. And, and our society highly values this kind of individual pursuit of success. And, um, and, it, and it's leading to an unhealthy culture where we see each other as uh, foes, enemies, people to be in competition with rather than as a fellow human to serve. Which isn't to say, therefore, don't go after any goals, don't try to be successful in what you do. Of course, to the glory of God and for the building up of the people. Strive, strive for excellence, strive for holiness, become a saint, but it's not about you. It's about building up the body. Arminda and then Alexander. Just kind of building on what's been said, um, speaking the truth Mm. and then speaking the truth in love. Yeah. So to be truthful in the way that we criticize or build up, because often there's this a spirit of hyperbole, which is probably built by competition, but it that that we turn people into into not people, into objects to be to have things plastered upon them. even when they're pretty horrible, but also we have to, that, that when we do it, we have to be speaking in love because if we're not speaking in love, then we're becoming part of the mess. That's so true, right? Like when we, when we think that we in our self-righteousness are just speaking the truth and we feel proud of that, but it's without love, um, we've, we've somehow made truth an idol, right? Because truth is always the same coin as mercy and love as Christians. So we have to be careful in our self-righteousness of 
like we're telling the truth about this and there's no love left for anyone. Um, that's not truth. It's part of it, but that's the sledgehammer approach and that's not of God. Um, it's like when people wield this Bible as a hammer, you know, take this truth or else you're going to hell. That's a sledgehammer. That's not mercy and truth. Um, and it's out of whack. It's, it's, it's whack. <laughs> it's, it's out of balance. Alexandra. Good morning. Um, and speaking of belief systems, I'm thinking about the challenge out in the world in which we um, express our fundamentals, such as salvation, the relationship with Jesus Christ, in a way that is not in alignment with the belief systems of, let's say, other religious traditions, mm. or people who just don't believe in God, or they're agnostic, or they're atheist. Yeah. And um, there are plenty of scenarios out there of people who would, at the very basic level, engage in interfaith dialogue with, with respect and not sledgehammering, well, if you don't have a relationship with, with Jesus, you know, whatever. I'm reminded, um, I, on my way to the Cincinnati airport once, I passed by this church that had been uh, converted from a bowling alley, and there was a big sign <laughs> that it said, life without Jesus is an unsharpened pencil, it has no point. Mm. <laughs> and I think there, there are Christians out there who, who are challenged by the fact that their belief system is the only system mm -hmm. viable. Yeah. And whether and if, even if they're encountering others of major faith traditions, for example, who do not have a relationship with Jesus, but they have beautiful faith traditions and they're in relationship with God, for example. Um, the mm. challenge of some Christians to not keep an open mind yeah. and to not find common ground, or at least to be able to have encounters with people who, um, who don't have, who don't believe in God. Yeah. You know, that yeah. God's not real, or God, Jesus is a made-up whatever. Yeah. And to be able to have respectful dialogues and to be able to, sh you know, share one's Christian belief in a way that you're not going to hope at the end of the conversation I've converted that person, but at least to be open and to share the abundance in our experience of what it means to be a Christian with others. Yeah. And that's challenging, I think, for many people that I've met over the years because they just want to say, it's all Jesus or nothing. Yes. And that's, for them it is. Yeah. And for me, that's my mm -hmm. faith tradition and I honor it. Mm -hmm. But um, the challenge, I think, is is how can Christians be out there and, and express their love and belief without you know, maybe having an agenda to, you know, convert like 75 people by the end of the evening. Yeah, Alexandra, that's, <laughs> I think that's a huge uh, topic in our, in our day, yeah. right? Because like the universal claim of Christ and of this truth has to be held on to, or else I'm embarrassed of the gospel or I don't think it's true, right? And a priest who doesn't believe that the gospel is the true story worth sharing, needs to find another career, <laughs> right? And, and needs to find another line of work. So it's, it's critical that, that we, that Christian leaders uh, believe, trust, that this is the true story of the world, that this is God's revelation to the world, is, you know, the Christmas, life, death, resurrection, and ascension of Jesus, King of kings, Lord of lords. And, and, and to believe that, like, without feeling shame, and then one way that I like to think about this is that we would be the kind of people who would lay down our lives for others outside of that faith. 
because that's the only way that we're saying what we profess to be true, that everybody's made in the image of God, that God is pouring God's self out in love and mercy, well then so are we. And, uh, and forgiving our enemies, loving the unlovable. So the, the, the test is that we would not be uh, so white knuckled about our faith, but that we with certitude, dare I say it, like that we are certain that this is God's revelation to the world, that I find joy and I am at peace and I have found salvation in that. And now I can share it in the ways that God calls me to share it with open, with open hands and with just a real reverence for the ways in which human beings have encountered the divine throughout the ages. John's gospel is helpful in this way in that the spirit blows where it will. So we see Christ-shaped things outside of the church all over the place. We should rejoice in that and also be curious about it. Like, how'd you do that? Like, what do you believe? What are you thinking about that would have you do that? Um, and and out, people outside institutions and people outside of the church are often showing the church how to be the church by their merciful care, by their compassion. Um, so does that mean like now all of a sudden our story is less true? No, it's not zero sum in that way. I happen to believe as I think I must, uh, but I also believe it, is that you know when we wake up on the other side of death, we will be met by this outstretched savior. Take the Christian religion out of it, if you will, if you can, and to just say, here is this merciful savior, saying, come to me, all you who labor and are carrying heavy burdens, and I'll show you joy. And that's everybody, that's every human being. I, you know, that's the Christian universal vision, is that everyone will come with, within that saving embrace. Uh, but that doesn't mean that I need to go to my Jewish brother and sister or my Muslim brother and sister, or my Buddhist or my atheist or agnostic person and say, if you don't believe this, your life is on the line. Uh, that's, a, that's a God that we just don't believe in. That's a God that I wouldn't wanna believe in. It's not a good enough God. If I can be more gracious than that, than God, no way. Mary. Uh, just further to your point on that, is when I feel that when, when we as Christians would make remarks like that, yeah. we are playing God. Yeah, And we totally. are taking, we are, we are, you know, God knows what God is doing. That's right, let <laughs> God be God, yep. And, we we have accepted a certain way of living and faith as Christ is our savior. Yes. As someone who lives in an interfaith dialogue 24 seven. Yes. <laughs> and there are many people in this room who might also, but also live with relatives who aren't on the same yes. path as we are. Yes. Um, what I've learned as I've been in this interfaith dialogue for 35 plus years is that <laughs> Um, seeking light in others, as others, other cultures and other faiths also seek light. Exactly. And it is it is remarkable finding finding how we are so how we are similar. Yes. To others, be it faith, race, you know, culture, whatever, and 
and finding the finding how we are more alike than mm-hmm. we are different. Absolutely right. Thank you, Mary. That's powerful. And and I think, and it will have to be the last word because I need to run upstairs. Sorry, Bob. Um, <laughs> let me say this quickly and then you say a word. There is a, there is a profound humility to the practice of Christian virtue that, that would always be uh, from a posture of recept- receptivity of the gifts of others so that it is not, again, the sledgehammer. It is humble, searching for the light in others and praying that they would want to see the same out of a Christian. Bob. Oh, I have two things. Number one, that you'd already hit at it. I think one of the hardest things as a Christian is we're no longer eye for an eye, but it's to love your neighbor. Yes. It's to love your enemy. And I think that's really hard in the world at the moment. Yep. But going back to this discussion you just had, I love the story in the last of the Narnia books. Mm. When the Kellerman soldier dies, mm. he ends up in front of Aslan, who is Jesus. Yep. And he sits there and he goes, what am I doing here? I have never worshipped here you. And he goes, all the things that you have done in this other name, you have done for me because you have done wonderful things. Brilliant. That Brilliant. Was, that was the gospel. This that was. Morning. Insofar as you did it to the least of these, you yeah. did it to me. Exactly. Last word. God bless you all. <laughs>